0: Welcome to The Daily Standard Podcast. It's July 9th, 2018. I am joined by Jim Swift and Andrew Egger of The Weekly Standard, and I am broadcasting from Crested Butte, Colorado. So once again, we are doing this podcast across multiple time zones, gentlemen.
1: Thanks for having us, Charlie.
0: <laughs> okay, I wanted to start off with this, uh, the rescue of these kids in Thailand I can't remember the last time that the entire world seemed to be riveted on all of this. And the more you discover about how difficult it is to extract those kids, if I tweeted this out yesterday, if God willing this rescue succeeds, it will be an extraordinary uh, you know example of human resilience, ingenuity, and compassion. Any, any thoughts on, on, on why the whole world is, has been just so gripped by this one story?
1: It's like the Chilean miners uh, from years and years ago, and my, my mom kind of sarcastically said to me on the phone this morning, ah, you know, I hope they all get out alive, and if they do, they'll probably make another movie about it, which, of course, I won't watch.
0: Yeah, there would be another movie in there, I would think, it was with Elon Musk going in. Okay, so over the weekend, the uh, the, the North Koreans had a very different, uh, different take on Mike Pompeo's visit to North Korea than Mike Pompeo has. Uh, the uh, Secretary of State goes to North Korea, last-ditch effort to get them to agree to whatever it is that they never agreed to. And then the North Koreans, I mean, and then issues a statement saying, you know, it was productive, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And then the North Koreans issue a harsh statement saying that it was regrettable and accusing the United States of gangster tactics. So, Andrew, in North Koreans speak, what is a gangster tactic?
2: <laughs> well I think I think uh, the specific insult that they that they throw you know they, they have a whole grab bag of them uh, maybe matters a little bit less than than what it what it signifies which is that obviously they they've decided that they're going to turn the wheel again and and come back up uh, more combative and more um, you know, a more antagonistic toward toward U.S. efforts to ensure denuclearization. And I mean, we shouldn't really be surprised to see this, right? It's it's the kind of thing that's happened again and again. It's sometimes it's tied to specific U.S. actions, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just uh, that the the Kim regime has, for whatever reason, decided that the the propaganda machine dictates that today uh, we try to act uh, miffed about what the U.S. (laughs) is doing in in, in the hope that uh, of extracting more concessions. Um, You know, President Trump obviously tweeted just just this morning uh I have confidence that Kim jong-un will honor the contract we signed and even more importantly our handshake we agreed to the denucle- denuclearization of North Korea and goes on from there but but I, I think it's it's good to we'll, see we'll
0: the- f- finish finish the whole tweet because All he right. actually says something that I think is somewhat insightful
2: yes, well, I was, I was going to come back but, but yeah let's just let's, let's just do it China on the other hand may be exerting negative pressure on a deal because of our posture on Chinese trade hope not so yeah I mean like that's that's very possible right I mean we we, we, we need uh, participation from across uh, the uh, you know Asia from from Russia and China uh, on in, in terms of economic pressure on North Korea in order to to keep Kim at the table uh, we've known that for a long time that the, the the cooperation of those countries was going to be really really necessary and then just in just you know this last Friday we saw uh, Trump and China uh, Take the first steps, first uh, official steps toward uh, sort of an all-out trade war by slapping slapping tariffs on on each other's imports. And so, yeah, I mean, Trump might be absolutely right. I I do
0: I do think that 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 makes a lot of sense, you know, especially since it's been so very you know quickly that North Korea has gone from you know at, at least you know pretending to be nice with with the the Trump administration. Of, of course, they've you know they've never hesitated to you know attack other members of the administration in- including Mike Pence including John Bolton and all of that but i don't think it is a leap to suggest that that the chinese you know, as as we begin the trade war that there might have been a conversation suggesting you know kim you don't have to make nice uh, that much anymore speaking of the trade war and i don't want to get too deep into uh, to all of this but but it is on it is official and uh, the one thing that seems pretty clear i think to most observers is that Nobody knows how it's going to play out, and no one has an exit strategy at the moment. Would that be a fair take?
2: That's absolutely true. Um, it's 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 even among trade wars, it's sort of remarkable for that. In that in that we don't have any specific concessions uh, that the White House has has tipped their hand that they're looking for in order to in order for China to get off this. Perhaps behind closed doors, it's been it's been you know more more evident to China what the Trump administration is looking for. Um, but but here at home, the the reason that has an impact is because you know because uh, because the business sector doesn't know what. Trump is wanting out of China. Um, they are having a hard time forecasting how long this should be expected to go. What kind of preparations are going to need to be made? How how intense this is going to get in terms of how many imports are sanctioned? Um, and so that that just increases you know, the, the 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 market volatility that it, that comes along with any trade war. And so the. Right now, as far as trade wars go, it's still relatively modest um, in the in, in the double digits of billions, I guess you could say. Um, but 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 Trump has threatened, you know, to to, to slap yeah. as much as 500 billion dollars of additional tariffs on on Chinese imports. China's pledged that they're going to retaliate in kind, um, and so you know, it, it's it's it's. Worrisome down the road for for any number of industries that rely on any kind of international trade. Um, and I, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds either. And I've, I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before. What I've been what I've been focusing on recently in in, in my reporting is is agriculture and how that's how it's affecting that industri- industry. And they're they're really running scared right now. It's um you know the just the uncertainty from potential tariffs was already enough to drive the prices of of corn and soybeans and products like that down uh, to to levels that are already enough to sort of wipe out farm profits. For this past year's crop, um, and, and it's just going to get worse from here. So it's uh... I
0: just, I just, I I just cannot figure out how this is going to politically play out. Though, uh, of course, uh, I, I assume the East Coast elites are not going to lose much sleep over soybean prices or dairy prices. But here in flyover country, this is actually a big problem. Except for two things. N- number one, uh, around the country, a lot of Democrats are are certainly muting their criticism because they generally support protectionist policies they' they're, they're not necessarily against this. In fact, in fact, you know launching a trade war would be pretty much what Bernie would do. The second thing is you look at the maps of the areas that are you know, agriculturally impacted by this and these are areas that that Donald Trump won. and I, I'm still skeptical that that Trumpian voters would would turn against him on this issue as opposed to, other cultural identity issues, if you follow what I'm getting at.
2: You know, yeah, well, and, and as far as Trump voters that, that I've talked to are concerned who are who are in agriculture, it, it isn't so much a question of whether or not he's going to lose support among farmers as whether there's going to be enough farmers around to support him if, if these policies continue, because it really is you know the, the kind of thing that's going to drive a lot of farms out of business. Now, now, uh, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue has been making the rounds for, for weeks now, essentially just trying to do damage control and to reassure them that, that some sort of help is, is going to be coming from the government, saying that, you know, President Trump is, is, is insisting that farmers not bear the brunt of this. Uh, but, but there's only so much the federal government can do in terms of sort of ameliorating effects, right? I mean, it's, it, we, we export a lot of products to China. And if China decides to stop buying U.S. soybeans, you know, they're, they're like 60 percent, 70 percent of the entire world's import market for those sorts of things. You know, it's, there's only so much the government can do to replace that lost market share.
0: Yeah, let's just go back for a minute to uh, what's happening with with North Korea. The uh, The Weekly Standard has an editorial that uh, rather bluntly says, uh, "Bamboozled by Kim," pointing out that that look, um, the, he, he, there are a lot of reasons to be skeptical about uh, this this Trump policy, and also the the word denuclearization apparently means completely different things to the North Koreans rather than to Donald Trump. But this is what you get. When you have a foreign policy driven by impulse by photo op by pageantry rather than substance and it's certainly i, I have to tell you the that the prospect of what's going to happen this week and we're going to get to the supreme court in just a second but you know the nato summit the president goes to uh the united kingdom what could possibly go wrong there that then he has a, you know, he's going to meet one-on-one with vladimir putin who of course is watching the president's much wanted negotiation skills very very closely um Speaking of, of breaking news, just this morning, uh, Boris Johnson, the foreign secretary of, uh, of of Great Britain, resigns in apparent uh, disagreement with uh, Theresa May over Brexit. This takes what was an awkward political situation and turns it into possibly a full blown crisis. Just in time for the NATO summit. So, any Jim Jim Swift, do you have any like hot takes on? on what's going on there. I mean, is, is, is there ever been a more fraught moment between the United States and Europe since the last several decades that you have Donald Trump, who has made it very clear that he's skeptical of the EU, he's skeptical of NATO, he doesn't want to continue to support NATO, uh, he's, uh, you know, taking you know, pro-Russian stands, uh, he's going to be meeting with, with Vladimir Putin, and then you have uh, all of the leaders of Europe appear to have their own domestic political problems that that don't actually look very um, easily solvable oh no so just ju- just jump in with your hot take here
1: <laughs> uh, I my here's here's the hot take the hot take that I have is uh, one of the uh, criticisms that Republicans had of President Obama was that he was alienating our friends and um you know trying to cozy up with our, our enemies historically and I vaguely
0: remember that <laughs> and,
1: vaguely. and now we're, we're seeing Trump do that but like on speed, and of course, you know, Britain and the the uh, Brexit and that that whole thing crashing down is is, is in a, in a way sort of like the Greek banking crisis that you know the EU had to deal with when Obama was president. So it's things are not great, but we're we're seeing now that with the trade war that Trump is uh, you know long promised coming to fruition, that's probably going to continue also with EU uh, as Britain is trying to negotiate its own. Trade with the European Union. You you might even argue that um, Trump starting the trade war with uh, Britain is or with um, the EU is probably beneficial for Britain because Britain is. Uh the EU is trying to force them to accept the right of free movement of people, and they don't want to do that, as, you know, they, which they mm-hmm. previously agreed to as, as part of the EU, uh, but they uh, want to have the free trade aspect to it. And if Trump's going to start a trade war with the EU, the EU might look at Britain and be like, ah, we have bigger things to worry about. I guess let's well, let's just we'll deal with it there. That's okay. 3D chess. That's my 3D chess hot uh, take.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's the, the 3D chess. Okay, speaking of 3D chess, and-, and uh, by the way, I don't think that anybody is is obligated to take a position on Jim Jordan at this point. Of course, in in our news cycles and the Twitter cycle, everybody has to, you know, take take sides. But Jim Jordan, who's the you know prominent uh, prominent free, freedom caucus uh, leader, under fire now. I, I think there's seven former wrestlers who say that he was aware of bizarre sexual harassment patterns. Um, and, and he, he, he has denied knowing about it, but is this, again, without having an opinion, I don't know how people have opinions about factual situations they don't know anything about, but now we have seven, okay, so seven, yeah, exactly, so seven people coming forward, nobody is suggesting that they have particular motives for lying at this point, how serious a problem is this for for, for Jim Jordan? I am, what's also interesting is just watching the reflexive, you know, the, the White House. I we believe Jim Jordan, you know, other people rallying. We believe Jim Jordan. I mean, how the hell do you know unless you sit down and, and do this? Well, and unless then, you sit down and, and do this,
1: you're seeing you're seeing the House Freedom Caucus members are being yeah. urged to stand by him. Why? Uh, Why I mean, we, we we don't know exactly. anything, and you know, of course, Matt Gates, uh, the congressman from Infowars, I mean, Florida, um, <laughs> you know, is is is, is tweeting out uh, kind of you know batshit crazy conspiratorial takes uh, on this. And, and you're seeing this, of course, among the infowars right, right? That you know these seven guys just waited until uh, Jim Jordan was potentially going to be running for speaker. No, uh, I mean this. This is. I mean they did the same stuff with Roy Moore, the the, the kind of Breitbart alt right right. Uh, conspiracy loons are 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 up in arms about this, and I don't know what is true and what is not true. I do know that seven men. Uh, One came forward and it it turns into a daisy chain. That's the way reporting works. One person makes an accusation and then they start contacting other people. Right. And other people started confirming it. And seven different guys have have said that this doctor uh, was, uh, you know, was a was a harasser and a molester. And um uh, what will it mean for Jim Jordan? Who who knows? But his response has not been good so far, and uh, the the House Republicans' uh, response makes them look really bad. Yeah, um, I think
2: I think that's the most unsettling thing about it is just just what you get at right there is that we're 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 seeing this playbook develop on the right, especially on you know the the you know the the Freedom Caucus. You know, it, it's hard to say exactly how they fall. They're sort of more more the grassroots right, I would say, rather than like sort of hard right. Um, but but you know they're. Uh, among people like that, we're starting to see this playbook develop for for dealing with this kind of controversy, which is which is deny everything in the most unequivocal of terms, and then uh, allege you know uh, meddling, allege allege bad faith operation, allege conspiracy. We like like you say, we did see that with Roy Moore, and it's and he was he was obviously a crank, you know, in in, in nine different right. ways. Um, but it's it's you know it's unsettling to see that sort of spreading now to to people like Jim Jordan, who obviously you know not not exactly in the main Stream of, of Republican establishment type guys, but you know, uh, uh, for this a is long time was this seen is as the need a, need right? Yeah, exactly, it's,
0: exactly. It, yeah, it's, you just you pull it off the shelf and ignore this. Here's the thing that I I, 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 if if what's happening in Thailand restores our faith in humanity, stories like what these wrestlers are describing makes you wonder what the hell is wrong with people. The, the, you saw the political st- Politico story over the weekend. Half dozen ex. Okay, this graphic language warning. A half dozen ex-wrestlers told Politico they were regularly harassed in their training facility by sexually aggressive men who attended the university or worked there. The voyeurs would masturbate while watching the wrestlers shower, or sit in the sauna, or engage in sexual acts in the areas where the athletes trained. The former wrestlers said, "Okay, what? I'm. You know, how does that happen more than once?" I mean, it's, who does that sort of thing? I, I mean, I know that I lead a sheltered life, but seriously, the last thing that I'm going to do is go into a locker room, be just as any normal human being, with really large, muscular, aggressive men and start, like, doing this in their presence. I mean, how, you get an explanation for me here because I'm, 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 I'm out of information.
1: Well, there was that, and that that was part of it. And um some uh, according to the political story, if I recall, uh, some some of the uh, adults stepped up and, you know, forced those guys out, out of the uh, the locker room. But there was also the case of this doctor who would um, basically uh, was really like molesting them. and that that is um, it, you know, it's hard to say worse, but like um, that's that's like the other shoe on this on this on the story, which, um, you know, really has more of a tie-in to Jordan because he was the assistant coach. than at the I just time, don't see how
0: people didn't get their 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 asses kicked on this. I just yeah, good old good I'm old sorry, fashioned I Ohio State beatdown. I'm trying to picture the scene and go, all right, I don't know, I just I don't I don't know. So we'll see what happens with uh, with with Jim Jordan and the usual defenses uh, from from these folks. Uh, just we, just when we think we can't bottom out anymore, so obviously. Everything we're saying will be wiped away by what the president will be announcing later today. I don't know by the time this uh, this podcast airs whether or not it will have leaked out. The president is going to uh, appoint a successor to Justice Anthony Kennedy. Um, the, there's you know a lot of speculation about uh, the possible front runners. I think it's safe to say they are all conservatives. But I guess I'm I'm struck by sort of the. Kind of low-level intramural poking back and forth between the supporters of the various uh, candidates, whether it's you know Kavanaugh or Cathledge or Hardiman or or Barrett. And, and I saw one story that suggested that uh, you know Kavanaugh, who probably has a pretty long paper trail, but also that, that there is concern that he might be um, look for he might be too cautious and conciliatory and look for compromise. And I sat back and I said, so we've come to this moment where cautious compromising and conciliatory in a judge is something we don't want anymore
2: (laughs) yeah i i i sort of got got into this a little bit with that what piece i wrote last week about um susan collins and and the judiciary um Yes. On on the one hand, we sort of as we, we sort of want to see those things as as, as good as as helpful as um, you know uh, humble characteristics in a justice. We, we but the, used to. Yeah. Well. But 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 the question now is just you know you, you actually have to sort of reckon with compromising toward what like like what what good is um, you know. Uh, Uh, achieved by by trying to, like, stake out a middle position between, like, two conflicting, you know, incompatible judicial philosophies, right? So I I think that, you know, it's... It, it's fair. And you, you, you do see a lot of jostling, like the, the, the wall street journal had a piece out, I, I believe just yesterday um, where, where the editorial board basically said uh, a lot of these people would be good, but, but Tom Hardiman is the one that we're a little worried about. And so you see a lot of things about that. And it's all, it's all a little elementary because, you know, most yeah, of these, but- these, they're all qualified justices. So it's, 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 you know, they're, they're they'd all be good choices, at least from, from the perspective mm-hmm. of, of most ma- mainstream Republicans. Um, but, but, but yeah, I think it's, it's it's difficult to stake that out on on sort of like who's the best moderate in the bunch, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well. Also, again, we have to reevaluate. What is it we're looking for in a judge? Every one of these is qualified by the pre-Bork standards. Um, they would have been, and con- any one of them would be confirmed with you know eighty, ninety votes. <laughs> of course, that's that's all going. What is interesting is the political differentiation, and we got reports that Mitch McConnell was uh cautioning the president um against uh, against uh, uh barrett because he, he was worried that he might actually lose uh, murkowski and collins which was which was kind of interesting and uh also uh cautioning him possibly that kavanaugh has you know too long a paper trail and you might lose the Rand paul which seems to be that and again you know we're 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 in this <laughs> the same bubble that everybody else is in but it looks like just if you keep doing these venn diagrams That Kethledge and and Hardiman appear to be more likely than they did, I would say, what
2: three days ago? Yeah. Well, the the question of you know the fact that you need Murkowski and Collins makes makes Barrett a a harder lip. Like there's no there's no question around that. The question is whether um, whether President Trump sees the potential upsides of having you know a a a strongly socially conservative justice on court who's also a woman. Harder yeah fight. yeah 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 very very possibly and and he he might see you know it would be a harder fight but the payoff uh, essentially be a potentially better um if i if i could just read a little bit from from the wall street journal uh, article i was i was referencing a minute ago um i, I think that what, what what you're saying is as sort of like the low lower risk lower reward potentially option being being Kethledge is, is sort of what we're what we're seeing a lot of people arguing now. So I'll just read this. It says, uh, meanwhile, some on the right are calling Judge Kethledge a potential soder, although there is no evidence for this in his 10 years on the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. The rap is that he ruled for immigrants in some cases, but he also ruled against them in others among the many immigration cases he's heard. His analysis in those cases faithfully applied the law, and it's a shame that immigration obsessives on the right are now falling into the left's trap of results based judging. So. So that's that's the kind of thing we're getting at with like moderation before. Right. Where 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 Kethledge, you know, uh, people on the left are going to call him, you know, some sort of radical or, or, or what have you. Um, but but if, if we're if we're using sort of conservative judicial uh, standards where it's just, you know, be, uphold the law as it's written, that's that's what we've seen a lot, a lot from him in his career.
0: Well, that, that, that is the difference. That's why all conservative judges are not necessarily the same, or people on the right are not the same. You know, I, think, I thought that there was a consensus uh, that you wanted conservative judges who would rule based on what the law was, not what their personal preference was, but looking at the letter of the law, looking at the intent of the law, looking at the, the original meaning of the Constitution, as opposed to simply, I want my side to win every single case. That's a totally different approach to judges.
2: Right. And, and I don't say that say any of this within with an any intent to disparage any of the other potential nominees. I mean, originalism is a really strong school of thought on the right right now, which, which all of these nominees are, are influenced by to, to or all these potential nominees are influenced by to one degree or another. It's just to say that, you know this is, this is right down the middle as far as you know, conservative uh, conceptions of justices are even though they, they, these people are all likely to sort of be tarred as radicals uh, from the other side of the aisle.
0: Yeah, and of course, and they're, they're, they're mobilizing no matter who it is. But I did think the analysis that said that uh, uh, you know, appointing Barrett would create a problem for Collins and Murkowski, but appointing Kethledge then puts a lot of pressure on the red state Democrats to vote yes, you know, somebody who's, you know, from the heartland, kind of reasonable kind of guy. But it almost doesn't matter who the appointee, appointee is. You already see the, the massive mobilization that's going to be taking place. And this is, I, I think I saw somebody compare this to, you know, imagine the health care vote, the tax cut, you know, cut vote, uh, you know, Bork and Thomas all rolled into one issue and um, that will play out over what, uh, the next three months? So this 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 will be intense. Okay, guys, I'm looking at a story in the Washington Post uh, this morning from Kellyanne Conway to Stephen Miller. Trump's advisors fake taunts from hecklers around D.C. And this is. Uh, of course, there was over the weekend somebody was screaming at uh, at Steve Bannon. So, you know, have 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 progressives decided that uh, this is going to be now their 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 new go-to tactic that when you see folks in public, you start yelling at them and then you videotape it. Are are, are we in now for? Are we in now for months or years of of you know Facebook uploads of people berating people in restaurants, bookstores, supermarkets.
1: Yeah, think 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 of uh, all the things that the campus right has is, is agitated in in many cases and and done to 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 own the libs to to bring the Milos of the world and they get shouted down and oh, little old us just bringing Milo shouting them down as these kids grow out of college and become adults and go out and into society. Uh, they they are now conditioned to boo uh, and shout down people that disagree with. And maybe you could make an argument that that has bled over from you know the college liberalism to just mainstream America. Yeah,
0: but I, 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 as I've said before, I don't think this is a winning tactic for folks on the left. I I don't think this is the way to win hearts and minds. I do think that. To the extent that that you're you're appealing to the you know the the tiny shrinking number of independents or to sort of people in the middle, um, there's something you know obviously offensive about being offensive. How amazing is that? Hey, I want to just comment on a local story here in Wisconsin that has national implications. Paul Ryan's uh, seat, uh, even though he's not running, is obviously going to be a higher-profile congressional seat, and the Democrats and the Hollywood left have have you know put their arms around the the candidacy of randy bryce known as the iron stash you know member of the iron workers union he's raised millions of dollars now he's a constant feature you know you know fixture on places like msnbc and over the weekend there was a cnn report Documenting all of his run-ins with the law, and to say that Randy Bryce has has a checkered pass is putting it mildly. Unpaid debts, unpaid child support, uh, nine arrests, including one for you know driving under the influence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, nothing you know totally a deal breaker. But what is extraordinary to me is that there is a qualified, I wouldn't vote for, but a qualified, relatively impressive female Democrat running against Randy Bryce in the primary. Her name is Kathy Myers. She's a school teacher, a member of the Janesville School Board, and yet she is absolutely invisible in some progressive circles, which is weird considering that this is, if there's ever been a year of the Democratic Woman, this would be it. And yet they basically shoved her aside and have anointed Randy Bryce, who's in the process of kind of self-immolating politically. Just it just it it, it it's weird. This sort of picking, you know, the winners and losers. All right. So, uh, guys, what have we not talked about uh, today? I, I'm, I, just, I, I feel like this is like, the get everything off the table before the Supreme Court wars begin. And obviously, we're going to be talking about that. Anybody want to make a, a prediction who it's going to be? Because you'll, people will know probably whether you're right or wrong by the time you say this. So this is, this is high-risk uh, predictions.
1: Okay, here's mine. Okay. Say, now, say it with me. Justice okay. Janine Pirro. <laughs> Justice Janine. Then you know, we're gonna get cameras in the courtrooms and it's gonna be amazing. The best.
0: I think he's gonna save her for the fourth appointment. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Edgar, what do you think? Uh you know what? I'm just I'm just gonna say Amy Barrett. I think I think we'll see uh, I think we'll see an Amy Barrett confirmation fight. I don't think I don't think that it's uh, I think it is going to be a tougher fight. Uh, she's going might be a little less likely to actually get confirmed than any of the others, but I think that the the upside is there to to make her attractive to Trump. And I also don't think that uh, I don't think that losing one Supreme Court fight uh, would actually be that harmful to Trump and Republicans in the long term, especially if. Uh, especially if it happens, you know, right before uh, right before the midterm elections, they could they could they could really turn that into a, a bargaining chip, uh, or at least a, a something to press hard on during those elections, and, and and maybe strengthen their majority in the Senate. But nobody knows. We don't have any idea. Yeah. what's going okay, to happen. So going, That's just my best guess.
0: Yeah, you're you're going you're going for the the, the, the sexy you know swing for the fences. And by the way, you said something very interesting there. A losing fight is not the worst thing to happen. Actually, the side that comes out. Losing will be more energized, I think, from 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 this fight. They will be they will be the the angriest about all of this. And one thing about this uh, this list that that Donald Trump has is that you can lose a couple and you still have a pretty deep bench. Of course, you don't know what's going to happen with the Senate. So you're, you're the logic of the Barrett appointment. You know, uh, we, I can imagine that appealing to Trump, who figures, you know what, I need to really throw more kerosene on the fire this fight will be so big that whatever robert Mueller does nobody will even notice because everybody will be you know torching one another over you know amy barrett so that might appeal to him as the ultimate distraction i guess i'm going to go with the most boring vanilla um prediction which would be kethledge because he is sort of the last man standing. If you would have asked me last, you know, Friday, Thursday or Friday, I would have gone along with Fred Barnes and said that, you know, it would be Brett Kavanaugh, but I think that there's probably a little bit too much weight. So if he wants to go for the big, bold, let's have a fight, let's get our base out and let's get your base out, he goes with Amy Barrett. If he wants the Mitch McConnell, let's get a guy on the court, let's slip him through, you know, go with Cathledge, who is less colorful, more of a Gorsuch clone and that will probably. I, I. I think the chances of Keflezigh not getting through are almost zero. The chances of Barrett blowing up. Uh, who the hell knows?
2: But then again, who the hell knows? Not us. Correct. I definitely think that you're right about about one thing, which is that you know, any number of these guys are going to are going to prove to be a strong sort of like originalist justice on the court and give give you know. Conservatives who are into that sort of thing the the victories that they want. So it, it, there, it definitely is true that I think that nominating Barrett contains the most potential risk, which is just that if if one fight does, you know, fail, uh, if, if, if Trump nominates her and she doesn't manage to make it through and that's the only one they can do before the midterms and then through some uh, you know, it, which still could happen. Republicans managed to lose the Senate. Uh, that that would be sort of the the worst of all possible right. outcomes, and I, I I would not be surprised to see uh, Republicans want to avoid that as well. No, I, I I can see them obviously wanting
0: to avoid that as well. You know, what you were talking about, I was thinking about this. You know, the the process the process affects the judge, the justices, and not just the ones who are up for confirmation. You no. Know, if the left goes, to use uh, Jim's phrase, batshit crazy about all of this, what effect does it have on the other justices on the court who are watching this? You know, I think that the, this process can actually shove judges in different directions. I think if you look at the Anthony Kennedy, there was clearly a rightward shift there in the last year, and you wonder whether or not um, he might have, you know, been watching a lot of the, you know, the hy- hysteria, the overreach, uh, the bullying, and whether that, that affected his stance. Again, this is purely speculative here, but, you know, as the country becomes riveted on all of this, you wonder how hot it's going to be. Uh, yeah, the, the Catholic appointment would be, look, I, it, would, it would be, I think, just completely fine. You know, one, one thing that I just want to throw out here, there are not going to be any more David suitors, are there? We're not going to have that again. I mean, that's the great fear that you're going to get, you know, somebody who just becomes the exact opposite of what they said. This process of the vetting, you know, years of vetting the Federalist Society, and I'm not endorsing every single thing they do. They know who is on this list. There is no surprise. There's no John Sununu reaching into his back pocket and pulling out a crony from back home and saying, "This, trust me, this guy would be great." These are relatively much more um, known quantities than David Souter ever was. So that whole canard out there, I don't think people ought to be that worried. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. I think that I think that that is really the the worst case. I mean. Y- the the one thing that left and right are are united by I think when it comes to the Supreme Court is that that nobody wants to wants to be responsible for that kind of thing happening again because I mean there, there's no bigger blunder that you could make politically than to fail to sort of have your nominee on lock when it comes your time to put somebody on the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's become so you know ha- has such an outsized uh, influence on on political power in in Washington and in the country that uh you know it's it's, it's tantamount to losing you know 15 Senate seats or something like that. Imagine just like you know in, in, in an entire like caucus of 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 you know that that many senators just flipping their flipping parties just the 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 political impact that that would have and i think so yeah i think you're absolutely right that that's that's why uh trump is leaning so heavily on these on these outside groups to to, to make sure that that he, he's getting what he paid for, essentially.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad I'm glad he is in that respect. Okay, so I, I'm I'm what at what point? What is your bet, Jim Swift? Because you're a techie kind of guy. At what point does uh, the reaction to the Supreme Court uh, appointment uh, crash Twitter? Ooh, <laughs> it be yeah. right away, <laughs> or does it, or do we wait? Or do we wait for the molten lava of hot takes tomorrow morning? I I think if if it
1: isn't leaked definitively in the next couple hours and he does, uh, you know, keep the embargo until late tonight, it's it is going to be one of these sorts of things where you're going to be hearing thousands of journalists screaming outside of their windows because their little digital uh, scone to life has come to an end and they they can't (laughs) they can't see the hot takes on Twitter and our little blue check verified playground.
0: Well, I, I spent a lot of time there, so, I mean, really, I, that w- one of those voices deep in the mountains here might be, might be mine as well. Gentlemen, thanks again for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Uh, we will be uh, talking about uh, breaking down the, the, the nominee in, in some depth on tomorrow's uh, podcast. Thanks for listening to today's Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we'll do this all over again.